The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to David Gibbons in Discussion. Our guest today, Ewan Pigeon, Creative Director of Papa Whiskey Mary, an advertising agency involved in the clarity of brand communications from Irvine, California. Welcome to In Discussion today. I'm pleased to be in the company of Ewan Pigeon and Derek Wilson. Partners of Papa Whiskey Mary, a newly founded Southern California advertising agency. Derek Wilson has been involved heavily in branding and strategy for a broad range of industries and clients, while Ewan has been creating high-profile campaigns for some of the most recognized brands on the planet, including Toyota, Avis, and British Airways. Gentlemen, good afternoon. Hi, David. Hey, David. How are you? Very well, thank you. And how, how are you? We're doing well, thanks. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, You're very welcome. Can you tell me a bit about the uh, advertising agency that you have established and what is the purpose and, and what is your, your strategy? Uh, yeah, we both reached a, a point in our careers where we wanted to do something a little bit differently. We've been talking about it for a while. Um, and, and with that, we've formed this agency, Papa Whiskey Mary, and uh, our belief is that uh, it's a time to maybe bring some some clarity back to to advertising and marketing and branding. We're, there's a lot of um, jargon these days. There's a lot of uh, a, lot, a lot of irrelevances, and I think it's it's time to to get back to being clear and concise, and just back to strong, simple ideas to support uh, brands. That's where our name came from. Well, I, I think the name is amazing. I mean, how, how on earth did you choose that name? That's, well, we, it's we extremely cool, two, isn't it? Two weeks arguing about all, all sorts of suggestions. Between, there's, three, there's three partners there. Uh, the Papa Whiskey Mary stands for our initials in, uh, in a, the phonetic uh, alphabet that the military and police use. So when they want to get something over clearly and communicate w with no mistakes, they use a word for a you know, per letter, so in Papa Whiskey Mary. Um, for Pigeon, Wilkes, and Montgomery. A lot of people do point out that in the NATO, we take Papa and whiskey from NATO, and it really should be Mike. But uh, <laughs> we he found said, an old Western Union alphabet where Mary was uh, was used, and we thought it was much more interesting. Plus, it uh, annoys Scott Montgomery every time he hears the name. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually the whiskey part of it that concerns me. <laughs> we, we've heard that concern as well. <laughs> tell me, tell me about uh, branding. Uh, I, I know that a lot of our listeners will really want to to get a, a, a visibility or a, or a clarity on branding. Um, what are you trying to do to serve both the consumer and the advertiser? What is the relationship there? How are you uh, establishing the brand from major corporations to be able to uh, hit home with the consumer? 
Um, great, great question, David. Uh, the, the big energy and what you and kind of alluded to um, earlier on in the discussion um, was that there's, there's a tremendous amount of jargon, and the, the branding process, if you will, has become very complex. And so our goal was to simplify it, to find those, in, you know, the intrinsic components of a brand, and bring those to life quickly. Um, to to get away from um, the the multitudes of what, what what kind of car does the drop the brand drive what color tree would the brand be those type of things to really get back down to the core we hear a lot of um, we all see it we see a lot of uh, case studies cited as examples the Coca Colas the Nikes uh, the Virgins you know those were all done over long and tremendous periods of time with tremendous dollars and investment and consistent um, work put behind them. So what we're really trying to do is work with companies whether those brands are clearly established. And we have some examples in our current portfolio with the Toyota. Um, that brand is established. That is a very strong, independent brand. Um, it sits on its own merits. You don't have to do a tremendous amount of development there. Um, that is a matter merely of taking those, I would say, those, um, those, the features and the benefits of that brand and just bringing those to light in a way that is compelling to the target audience. Uh, that you're speaking with. And that's really the focus of Papa Whiskey Mary. Well, how, how do you connect the two, though? I mean, how do you connect a particular brand with personalities, with characters, with people? What, is, well, what, is, what do you have to achieve to, to get them hooked on a brand beyond just throwing out... Uh, well, it has to be credible. I mean, you can't just make it all up. It has to, it has to come from, from the product or the service. Um, you, you can't just invent things and then try and force people to believe it. So, I mean, a good brand is is clear and, and it has a clear message. It'll be it'll be credible. Uh, hopefully, it'll be unique because that makes it uh, that means you can defend your position against your competitors. And if you have those things, you can you you will create loyalty and you'll motivate your customers in a. It could be an emotional way or a rational way, or you know, hopefully a, a combination of both. But it, but it has to be genuine, and it has to come right through the company. So, you, you know, you should be should be starting from within, from the people who work there, and and, and it might be that the way people. It, it has to be consistent all the way through every single part of the messaging. Otherwise, you're going to fail. So, in other words, you're you're going laterally and vertically throughout the company's operation to make sure that that the way that you brand it works within every facet of their of their company absolutely and it can't like i say it can't be invented in um say the, the an airline with terrible service suddenly can't they're built start trying to build a brand around great service unless they fix that service and that's going to take some time and some education and some serious investment uh, you can't just it, 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 you, your, your brand has to be it has to be real so the, the reason that if you if you think about it the the reason brand i mean branding is a word that sort of got more and more used over the last few years it, it it only exists as a differentiator from products that are basically the same if you if you have a unique product then you, you don't really need much branding so in other words when you're um derek when you when you're out there pitching this and you're you're um uh, getting new accounts is it more important to find uh firms that are already established and and have that uh rigidity with their product or are you happy to take on a, a new firm that is unknown uh then uh actually have 
happy to take on either or um, at this point. And the uh, the unknowns are um, uniquely challenging. Um, I, I'll let you and jump in here as well, but uh, can often be more enjoyable because you're usually dealing with a um, in a startup mode. For example, David, you're dealing with a, a team, an executive team, or or a president, a, pr- a principal. There's a tremendous amount of energy and passion. It's new, it's fresh, it's exciting. Those are some great times. Um, given you know appropriate budgets and the investment from time and energy and passion and dollars they're willing to make, you can do a tremendous amount of research and really create some unique and defendable positions that we can begin to develop the brand uh, uh, or the platform, the foundation for the brand on, and then pushing that through with the aggressive marketing communications tactics and launching the brand and getting the word out and getting the employees on board. Um, that's just a, it's a really exciting, dynamic time. Again, I go back to one of the original statements. That, that process takes place over a tremendous amount of time, and it's the big thing we preach is that it's done consistent, consistently, um, as concisely as possible, and that throughout the process there's, it's very transparent and we're communicating aggressively to all audiences. Um, as far as taking on an established brand, yeah, um, a lot of us have been in that world, and there they walk in the door, and they've got their style guides, and a lot of that heavy lifting, if you will, has already been completed. So now it's simply taking that and applying that to the product, the service, the offering, and, and determining what they need to communicate to their audience at, at any given time. So when you're working with this company and you're developing this brand, uh, do you have to look at the sub-brands? Do you have to look at the distributors that service them uh, and uh, that whole chain uh, between the, the OEM, as it were, and the end user? Yeah, ideally you'd want to look at it. You'd want to step back, and, and a lot of times when, when Papa Whiskey Mary is being brought in, depending on the need, um, sometimes it is. There, there is a challenge. There is a problem. And we'll go in depth and look at all audiences, all all communication flow or the communication flow throughout the organization, uh, the various channels that they're dealing with. We'll want to talk with, actually one-on-one if possible, talk with everybody, at least representative samples from all those players, those touch points, if you will, um, and make sure that we understand what their perceptions about the brand are and, and the product and service and see if there's any disconnects. Ewan, as a creative director, mm-hmm. can you just uh, define your role uh, once you've won an account or or you may indeed already have an account uh, and you've got to go in a particular direction uh what is it that you you have to do as a creative director now well typically we'll derek um, and his team will have created a some kind of brief for us so we will have distilled down what it is we're trying to say who who we're trying to speak to uh, what do we want them to do? There's a sort of a, usually a series of questions. Every agency has a has a creative brief, but, but basically they're very very similar. Uh, and then what do we want to say a final impression to be? What do we want? Um, what do we want people to do? What do we want them to to go? And it, it is, it's my job to take that information and then bring it alive in a compelling way. That is, uh, first of all, it has to be different. It has to stand out. Um, it, it's quite commonly known, I think, that 90% of, of advertising is, um, is is ignored. No one notices 90% of it. The, the remaining 10% more is remembered that people hate them and than what they like. So you've got to you've got to make something stand out, and then the trick is to do that and be relevant. And there's a lot of 
lot of things involved in that whole process, and whether it's um, using the right medium, the right tone of voice, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So in that, that process, at what point do you have to consider the competitors? Right at the beginning. We have to look at what they're doing for two reasons. First of all, we want to see, um, we, we want to make sure we're going to do something different to, to what they're doing, and we want to make sure that we don't go into our client with a campaign and they say, oh, uh, <laughs> ABC company down the road just did that because you look pretty stupid. But uh, it's, it's a good education, and it's, um, like I say, I think the, the most important thing for me is that the work is different, different from anything else out there in that category. That is usually the first uh, start of a successful campaign. So uh, in that, how has your job changed over the last five or ten years? Um, just, it's not really changed. I mean, you've you got to keep aware of and keep abreast of all the, the latest trends and opportunities, but it's still, no matter whether we're doing a, a digital campaign or a more traditional print campaign, you, you have to have a good idea. You have to start with a good idea. And I think that's the where maybe a lot of um, a lot of advertising does does tend to fail. I mean, even in the, I'm sure I'm sure the same uh, I'm sure the same statistics apply to the the online world that 90 percent, probably more, is uh, more work is ignored. But when someone does something that's fresh and original, the the rewards are maybe even greater because more people are accessing it. Yeah, and springboarding off that thought, uh, David, I mean, what Ewan alludes to is one one of the big traps that companies run into and marketing managers run into is we did an ad campaign last year. Well, we got to do an ad campaign this year. And they haven't paused long enough um, in a lot of cases to ask it, what, what's more important and what's the best way to make contact. So when my team gets involved and we sit down and we get those briefs developed and then sit down with Ewan and his team and the creative teams, you know, one of the major assignments is forgetting what you know, forgetting what you did last year, and truly looking at this as what 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 is the media, what is the mix that is that's available to us, and back to where Ewan was talking about the big idea, and truly start with an idea, and then determine how that idea is applied and to what medium. And all of those formulas must have changed vastly, um, guys, given, <laughs> given, given that the economy has been so dreadful recently. Yeah. Has, has, that, has that had an effect on, on how you do things and how the uh, client works with you and where they're going? Yeah, absolutely. But I think, uh, you know, maybe as Winston Churchill says, we, ha- we have no money, we'll have to think. You know, <laughs> you've got to work a little bit harder. Your ideas have got to work harder. But there's... This, this is a time for, for people to really step forward and, um, and put their mark down now to differentiate themselves. So this is a time where, where there's opportunities, we're seeing it. And we're finding some companies coming to us with that same thought. Now, I was interested the last week <clears throat> to see that Tiger Woods has been uh, chastised <laughs> as being the... What did uh, he do? <clears throat> what did he do? Oh, yeah, Ewan, you? please. <laughs> How ha, has that sort of um, problem faced faced you, gentlemen, in your business? How does a large corporation uh, recover from publicity like that? How do how how what do you have to do to to mend that? Um, well, I mean, this is, that's a sort of a risky take, I suppose, when you, you you put all your eggs in one basket behind one celebrity. Uh, I noticed that several of them are trying to distance themselves and. 
uh, it's uh, be interesting to see what they do. But, um, I don't know how you how they extricate themselves. I don't think they're they're personally involved, are they? Were you talking to Edison? <laughs> yeah. Were you talking specifically his sponsors, David? Yes, I am. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a that's a fantastic question, uh, and, and you see, and, and that's uh, where a lot of us have been from from the industry side have been watching. Uh, one to see what those corporations do and how they play it, um, and how carefully they whether they extricate or they stay with. Um, I think a lot of that will depend on he and his his team and how you know what they start communicating and, and how the public receives it. Um, I guarantee you, every one of them are monitoring every social feed that is out there, trying to get a gauge on. You know when this thing may blow over, if it will ever blow over, and what type of a recovery, if any, that that he'll be able to make, and then 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 their decisions will be made. But obviously, this is going to be an expensive proposition for all of them. There's a lot of energy going in to protect their interests. I I guess that that method they have is putting a human face on branding. It's, it's, it's yeah, not lining it definitely. So if you have a company that is not um, making available th- that sort of funding, how do you place a human face on the branding that you, you put out there? How, how do you achieve that? Um, there's, there's several different ways. Um, and let me just pause here as I, as I kind of think about through the question a little bit, David. Um, there, there's There's... If it's necessary, and let me step back there, if we determine that it's necessary to put a face to it or that it's going to benefit us in some way or, or make make the brand more appealing to the target audiences, uh, presidents and CEOs can serve as figureheads and representatives of the brand, and, and often in many cases very well. Um, in some instances, we'll see the same type of uh, tiger issues uh, emerge uh, in those, those examples. Um, there's another way, and, and you can probably speak more to this, um, is with imagery. And, and photo banks and, and establishing looks and feels um, with the brand that'll that'll create some personality. Um, you know, uh, there's a couple of examples. I'm thinking of the of the Mac one, who's used the actor, um, who's become the face, well, the face of Mac and the face of PC. That is just a really an enjoyable campaign and done in a very interesting way. So there's, there's a bunch of examples on on how to do that without using the type of money that would cost from having a tiger, you know, aligned with your product. Can you give me an example of uh, the the typical typical clients that you've been servicing the, the last three or four years, and and give our listeners an idea of of what they need, what their audience is, and and uh, uh, you know what sort of budgeting they have, uh, and what they're asking of you. Uh, the, the the main one we've worked on together is uh, is Toyota, but, uh, in, in particular. Industrial equipment, which is primarily Toyota lift trucks, and we we our positioning for them was that they were the best-selling lift truck in the country. So, which is you know quite a quite an achievement. So we we built everything around them being America's number one lift truck, and not not just in as a statement of sales, but in everything they did and everything, all their their work and their communications. So all the imagery, everything had to look, and they had to act that way. Um, we've um, we did different work for them every every year, all all consistent with that position. The challenges there were uh, really aligning their dealer network because the big part of our audience is the the network of uh, 
dealers around the country who are representing the brand and making sure, uh, giving them the tools to, to communicate the message in the same way so that if you go into a, a dealership in L.A., you're going to get a similar message experience you may well do if you went in one in, say, Dallas or something like that. What are the challenges when you're working with the original manufacturer and then having to work with the dealers? Are there uh, compromises or conflicts between their brands that you have to uh, work with? Um, not necessarily with the brand. I mean, the, the challenge, again, is to give them a strong, powerful idea that works. And then once you have that, it'd be amazing how uh, you get people nodding and smiling in agreement when you present the work. I mean, if you go in, we, we went in, we worked, there was weak, they knew it, and they'd throw it out. So we, we have to push ourselves there. Yeah, the, some, of, some of the challenges that you, you deal with, you deal with a large dealer body, um, involves with you do the work that you and the team does uh, from the corporate level, uh, from the Toyota, Toyota level, and then as the fear is that it gets translated or inappropriately translated when the dealers get their hands on it and then begin their marketing initiatives. So they put some controls in place. Um, they, they actually have a fantastic dealer body that uh, embraces the work and the effort and works very hard to keep everything consistent. But uh, that, that is a risky proposition when you let your brand loose uh, to, to a dealer network with, with, without a lot of controls. Going back to your original statement that you and that you had indicated that the, the, the product itself has to be tangible, it has mm -hmm. to be credible, um, and clearly Toyota has a great history, uh, a, a great performance in its business. Uh, is... Is it uh, practical for you gentlemen to look at an American manufacturer uh, the same way as you do with a company like Toyota? Uh, how, how do you mean? Well, uh, are they competitive? Are they as approachable? Are they uh, as... Uh, um, does, the does the public want to still buy American? Or, or is, is well, the Toyota brand, are the brands, foreign brands more appealing now? It's an, in it's an interesting <laughs> question because most of the Toyotas are actually built here. So um, I, I think, think Toyota, as well as any company, has uh, integrated themselves into culture wherever they're manufacturing. Um, the, and the reason their product is liked is because it's, whilst it might be a bit more expensive to purchase one, uh, slightly, slightly different from the car side, I know that they last longer and they're cheaper to run and they're, they're easier to service, which is a, a sort of a whole cost of ownership program. Um, a, bit like, a bit like when you, you buy a shirt, um, you know, you probably spend more money on the, over the life of the shirt, the dry cleaner, than you will on the price of the shirt. Uh, the Toyota is uh, more, more competitive in that way. But is it not um, is it not sad that that we're seeing more import, more um, products essentially coming from abroad, and seeing the manufacturing base over here being depleted? Would would you not rather, as uh, a branding agency, like to see product being developed in this country, manufacturers come back and and see if there's a credible way to to push back on the the massive imports? Um, are, we still, are we still speaking of Toyota here? Like I said, they are, they are made here. They are manufactured here. But, so but, but... You've seen that more and more with, as, as brands are more global. You, American companies are manufacturing 
stuff in China and Mexico. It's not, you know, doesn't mean just because it's an American company doesn't mean it's an American-made product. So, would you call yourselves more of a globally thinking advertising agency? Is that is that how you look at branding now, rather than looking at it as a uh, an agency that supports American product? Are you capable of and assured by creating a more international, global uh, feel to the branding? Um, we're not quite a global agency yet, so we, we sort of hope. <laughs> Oh, it's a great become. aspiration. But I think, uh, I, I think more and more businesses are looking that way. They're looking beyond their, their borders for opportunities. Uh, and, and I think you're, you're seeing the, the, particularly through you know, the, the, the growth of digital and online, that information is spread so much more quickly. You, you can, it, it, there's, no, there's no, the boundaries aren't there anymore like there were, say, 20, 25 years ago. And you've just uh, created the segue for the next uh, part of this discussion, and that is how much are you converting your work from concentrating on traditional print to interactive, to, to uh, streaming and, uh, and, and website delivery? It's wherever it's appropriate. As Derek mentioned earlier, we, we try and we, we have clients who come to us with maybe a a view of what they need and when we delve into it a bit more and when we start to think and we start to come up with uh, ideas then maybe it's more applicable elsewhere and we will look at that but it's it's an integral part of just about any marketing mix these days do you think that the web and streaming is the way of the future do you think that ultimately in your world it will it will come to replace any traditional means that you've been working with not at all i mean i think everyone thought that when when tv came out TV advertising was going to replace magazines back then or radio. Um, we're still doing radio. <laughs> uh, no, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an important part of it, but again, it has to be a relevant part and it has to be used, used correctly and where appropriate for, for certain audiences. I mean, not, let's, let's not forget, not, not everybody is reading blogs and on Twitter still, and they probably never will be. It's, not, it's, a, it's a part of a, of a communication mix that has to be managed and looked at carefully. I mean, how, Derek's been involved in some of this recently for with Toyota and giving them some guidance. But it's a it's a it's a bigger part than it than it has been. It's growing each year, but I don't see it as replacing more traditional means. I, th- I think what's really happening, David, out there is that it's becoming. I think the mix is becoming more critical, and the um, the emphasis on the mix and the appropriateness of that that mix, whether that be public relations, print advertising, radio, um, social campaigns, uh, in, in employing social advocates uh, from a corporation standpoint, and viewing that as part of the larger sales and marketing initiative. That's really the change that we're seeing and where we're seeing the most progressive companies are looking at, are looking at more than one element or how those elements actually interact. How do you see social media, Derek? How, how uh, social media, it seems to me, is a great vehicle uh, on a, a personal level. Um, do you think that social media has relevance in, in the corporate world in the future? You know, it, I, I think it absolutely does. Um, and it, it's an interesting, and, and when just watching it, I think like all of us are watching it closely to see where it is appropriate and how it's appropriate. From a corporate standpoint, the way we see, I mean, Toyota is using it magnificently, and they have actually have um, dedicated advocates on staff that um, manage and monitor and participate um, in that world. 
And the big question is, is it, is it helping me sell lift trucks? Am I selling forklifts? Can you make it transactional? And I, it's not that it's transactional, but it's community building. It's leading to um, Toyota in that example, David, is gathering more information or, I mean, they're, they're their benefit is the information they're getting from it as much as them pushing out any information. Um, and then eventually I do believe that all leads to sales. Connecting those dots is a little tricky right now, and I don't know that it'll ever be to, to that level. There's groups working on it. There's groups working on video applications, making those type of things, again, transactional, where you can actually purchase directly from a Twitter feed. Um, I think that's a bit, you know, that, that that's that's a that's a viable possibility, uh, but I don't know if we see that on a mass scale yet. I mean, Ford are doing a very interesting launch with the Fiesta here. Do you, you really see that, what they're doing there? It's um, the Fiesta movement. You know, the Ford Fiesta, I think it's... Cause me and you, David, have been familiar with them. They've been around for a long time in the UK. I don't think they've, I don't think they've uh, been in the US before, but they've... Their whole campaign is, is they've, they've recruited, a, I think it's 100 advocates of the most active uh, people on the social networks, whether it's uh, Flickr, Facebook, etc. And they're going to give them a car for six months and have them write about it. And it's, it's a very interesting approach. And I think for that product, it's probably highly successful. The car's aimed at young people. It's a odd, funky little shape, and it's all bright colors, but it's, um, their approach is... Um, it's a pretty brave move, but it's, it's going to be interesting how that works. How do you or how does your client get uh, demographic information? How, how does it collect data from uh, consumers? Um, you know, David, I don't know that I have, um, other than those that have actually gone out and solicited that work and uh, paid, paid to have those studies conducted. Um, the only other thing that any of my clients are currently doing is information they're pulling from websites, um, any type of lead development or queries that they do, data capture, um, things of that nature. But, uh, yeah, most of them have, um, that those that have seen the benefit of that have actually solicited and paid for those studies. What uh, is your interest in uh, this technology that's coming around? I've n- noticed that there's a lot of software companies coming out with mobile technology software that, that services the consumer and that services the advertiser um, with text messaging and, and everything else that, that people can, can uh, use with mobile technology. And, and that's a way of getting geographical information and, and uh, stats. Is that something that, that you as a branding agency look at? You know, it, it's definitely something that we look at and we're, that we're aware of. Um, I think that's that's it's in its development phase or it's in it's in infancy right now. The data capture capabilities are tremendous, as as you've alluded to, um, and what's going to be done with that data um, and how much that how where that data is going to benefit us. That's where all the value is going to be. Uh, the bang for the buck will come from the companies that are able to digest that, slice that up, um, and feed that back to uh, groups like myself. That, that can then you know be able to target those audiences that much more specifically or create custom applications that begin to communicate to the audience on a more, much more intimate level than we currently are. Do you think the technology is going too far, Derek? Do I think it's going too far? No. I, um, I, <laughs> You're talking to a big You don't think it's gone far enough. <laughs> oh, I, 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 think it's, I think it's fantastic. I think it's moving incredible. I mean, as, as we'd all, I would think we'd all agree, it's moving so fast. 
and uh, just trying to get our hands on it. And I think there's several companies that are are fantastic. They're just possibly ahead of the curve, and uh, I think we're some of us are struggling to catch up to them. So, uh, but uh, it's it's a fantastic ride, and it's just uh, connecting us a little better. Uh, I'll, we'll see if the social thing turns out to be more of a fad than anything. I mean, we're just everybody's watching it really close, participating, and seeing where that's going to take us. Isn't it strange? I mean, when I look at Facebook and Twitter, and goodness only knows, I don't even figure out how to. I think my 11 year old daughter knows how to use these <laughs> things better than I do. But there, there's a formula here that I look at. You know, you look at some Facebook uh, uh, individuals, and they have you know 10 friends, and then you look at some who have a thousand friends or 3,000 friends. Um, isn't it going to be difficult to be able to monitor? Uh, in a, a business sense, in being able to convert that sort of social media to uh, some sort of business are there, model. Are there programs that do that now? If you're on Twitter, that will <laughs> that will sift through your various tweets and pull out the ones that they'll think will be most relevant to you, isn't it? Yeah, there are. There, there's, there's a few oh, of them. Sorry, sorry happening. Yeah, more, more searches. I'm sure Google will be working on something <laughs> specific for that need, but. Yeah, Debbie, you bring up a great point. It's just there's a, trem- I mean, overwhelming, tremendous amount of data uh, that is pouring out there and being captured. I, I saw an interesting uh, report the other morning uh, with with Google kind of under fire uh, about the data and the amount of data that they have on individuals and what what do they plan on doing with that in the future. So I think there's you're getting a lot of. I mean, these discussions are going beyond marketing and they're heading into social social consciousness, moral type of things that are that are, I think we're all going to find interesting. So um, in your work, is there any particular audience that you look at as a primary model? I mean, obviously, if you're branding for Toyota, I mean, you, you may be looking at a whole age group, um, background, etc. But is in your business, is there a particular age group that, that, that is more important than any other in starting uh, your branding process? It's just the one that's the, the primary audience for that client, and that will there will always be one, and then we should we should always um, concentrate on one primary audience. There may be two or three you know, subsets, but it only varies varies vastly. It can vary through age, it can vary through demographics, it can vary geographically. I mean, there's a or you know a mixture of all three. But uh, uh, figuring out who, the, who those people are is a pretty essential part. A lot of companies will know that already, but some but some don't. Sometimes you, you're talking to the chairman's wife, you never know, you know, when you're presenting work. <laughs> you never know who's going to ultimately decide on that. That's a, that's a mistake a lot of marketers make. They, they, they themselves, uh, they forget who their audience is and they, they, they treat the work as though they're the audience. And quite often they're not thinking the same way. What about, um, what about the general business atmosphere over there, uh, gentlemen? How, how, how is it in California? Well, you know, California's like... They always look on the, the bright side. I mean, I'm, I'm from Lancashire, so I always uh, you know, think the worst, and you'll never be disappointed. <laughs> no, everything's going pretty well. I think. I think it's an optimistic sort of place. Yeah, I think there's. I, mean, I don't think there's any hiding the fact that you know business business has been impacted. Uh, I think there's. Um, I think the doom and gloom phase is, is what I'm hopeful. Knocking on wood as I'm speaking well in the past. Um, and the, the aggressive companies, the more optimistic ones, are really pushing forward and trying to see what this uh, this new world is going to be for us. And the political climate has changed dramatically, as we're as we're all aware, as on a global level, we're all aware. 
Um, so uh, a lot of those, I think, we're the, the business world is still trying to figure out, you know, how this is going to all net out. So has that changed the um, the direction for you in terms of, of clients and, and business sectors? I mean, surely a lot of sectors have been so badly affected that their marketing dollars are probably um, on the floor right now. They're probably on their knees. So have you had to turn to other sectors? It's, it's interesting. Uh, we've been open to a lot of different sectors, um, and when we have, we just enjoy that, and we believe the uh, the product and the application what we provide will will work on a multitude uh, levels. I think what's changed most is in the approach. There was often, you know, let's spend some time, let's see what you need to be doing, let's do some exploration and some discovery. What we're discovering in in the business development process is there's there's immediate need, there's pain, there's these some of these clients have been dark for months. Um, they're having significant business challenges um, that they're fighting through right now. They need you to become active quickly. They don't have, they can't afford 90 days to let you come in and, and do a lot of research and try to try to get a, a better understanding of, of the initiative. They need action. So, um, being a very tactical and uh, strategic group, you know, and allowing us to come in and, and nimble with that said, and be able to take some action and try to get them some immediate results is really where the energy has been focused on recently. It, that must be uh, your biggest challenge, is it not? Uh, taking uh, um, a board of directors and proving to them that they've got to increase their marketing dollars, <laughs> because because so many com- companies in in times like this, as they they did back in the early nineties, tend to close down their marketing and hope for the best. It is. So so, what is your approach there to to infuse them with energy to to uh, take from take from their uh, funds uh, and and put those directly into marketing rather than putting it into R and D or or any other area. Um, well, we we think we can do it, um, give them better value and and do it more economically than, than most other companies right now. I mean, that's, we we believe we can simplify a lot of those processes that they've had people coming in and um, you know presenting a fifty page document where the first 45 pages are telling them what the next five pages are going to be. <laughs> we think we, you can, we can be concise, we can use simple, clearer language. And, you know, get to the point, really, is my sort of motto there. Let's, let's, uh, let's figure out a simple, direct way to, to do what they're trying to say. With the, I mean, it could be the same amount of money. We could just believe we can make it go further. But Dave, you're also talking specifically, in addition to that, you're talking specifically about how to, why spend on marketing as opposed to, as you mentioned, R&D, or I'm just going to go buy the deals. Is yes. kind of yes. where, you, where you're heading? Yes. Yeah, that's a, that's a challenge. I mean, Ewan and Scott and I face um, almost in every meeting at this point that we're in um, is, re, is justifying that investment, showing case studies over time. I mean, I, 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 I feel for the, the people across the table from us because that's got to be a painful position. You know, they're they're... they're either not making a lot of money or they're losing money and you're asking them to spend more money. Um, the truly savvy savvy of the marketers, I think they understand that, that you've got to continue. Um, if you see this, that what we try to present, if they do truly have a unique and defendable position, if there is a compelling rationale as to why their product would be accepted or, or taken on board right now, then spending money to reach those targets now uh, is probably one of the best uses of their money to be said. I think the challenge runs into when no, no matter what you do, the, the customer isn't going to buy, and then you have to ask the business if it can afford at that point to be then uh, reaching out and connecting with the audience, its target audiences. Then do you get involved in that? Do you, do you get into uh, 
figuring out uh, what the the pricing level has to be on their products in, in, in order to allow you to market it. Yeah, that 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 part is a, a slightly above my pay grade. Um, we'll, we'll gladly walk into those discussions um, and, and participate with them. We also have strategic partners, given the type of client David that they might be, um, that I can put in place that have more experience than I do in that kind of in a pricing realm. Or, a, or I mean, a specific product manager is going to look at you know is it worth is it worth cutting in our margins or, or losing actually just to maintain the market share for future growth? That those are those are big boardroom discussions um, that we openly uh, participate in, uh, but ultimately those decisions rest in other hands. I suppose after those board meetings, you have to go down the local pub and dr- <laughs> drown your sorrows with a lot of beer. Then. Yeah, we uh, <laughs> sometimes before. <laughs> sometimes you know ahead of time what you're you're walking into, but. It, that's been the biggest challenge. I think the industry. I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's case studies and examples all over the place of, of firms doing very well. But that across the board, I'd imagine that's the biggest challenge was the dramatic cutbacks on the budget, and the word that you know firms and agencies like ourselves heard was, you know, what can you do for free? What can you do for free? Um, what can we do cheap? Uh, I believe that's why you've seen such tremendous impetus into the social arena. Um, because they could hire some some advocates out of of college and, and get some people on Twitter and Facebook uh, for relatively low money and start to play in that world. Can I just return Ewan mm-hmm. back to Clarity? Yes. G- can you give me a bit more visibility on that, uh, just for our listeners? What is it in that clarity of the product or the service, whether it's tangible or intangible? What is it that you've got to do to hook the consumer? Um, be be different, um, be relevant, and be uh, truthful. Really, are you are, are you using that word clarity as some sort of trademark? Is that is no, that is, is that is is that going to be a big difference? Um, uh, not 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 just that one particular word. Just that that whole area of thinking of um, of being clear and, and being to the point, sharp, definite. Looking at something very simply and clearly, and getting that message over mm. in that same way. Has that has that uh, been a failure in some of the bigger campaigns in recent years? That that the. Advertising uh, yeah, agency so. is, is not actually um, demonstrating to the consumer exactly what they're being given and why. I think most advertising is missing the mark in that way, yes. I think that's why most of it goes is ignored. And I think the industry has, has, has got bogged down with all these terms, whether it's engagement, leverage, I don't know, all these, all these drilling down. You hear all different with a different one every now and again. You hear all these phrases that are banded around a meeting, and I think you should be able to just speak in, in, in your ideas, you should be able to explain to your mother over the phone your, an idea. Okay. It should be that, you should be able to, it's our job to distill it down to that level of simplicity and, and, and clarity, if you like. Um, you know, just big words don't mean big thinking. And I'm not just talking about the, the message, I'm talking about the, the, uh, the process that, that leads to, to the defining a, a strategy for a brand or a, or a product. What about you, Derek? How, how do you um, how do you clarify that? How do you uh, get that over to the client succinctly at the beginning? To to I mean, is it a fight with with your client to actually assert to them that 
us as consumers are only human, and and <laughs> it's got to be simplified to 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 meet any intellectual uh, level. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a significant I mean challenge to those that don't embrace already embrace that philosophy, which I would I think you and and I would both argue that most don't. Um, and I understand it. The the client is sitting in a position of I've got limited dollars, I've got a lot to say, and I want and a lot of people to talk to. So I want to get as much of this messaging and and this this word out, if you will, in as few pieces as possible. Um, and that flies in the face of why great work works, why it's memorable, um, why we send so much energy in the front end of an initiative trying to simplify, um, trying to get to a single-minded proposition, that unique in, independent thought um, that will allow a creative team to, to truly generate some, some re- really memorable and great work. Um, the concern there is that's going to get costly. So that becomes a lot of different tools or different media. Um, and again, I go back to it's, it needs to stem what the, the, the dramatic change that I think is in, in front of us right now that we all need to embrace is that you know it does have to be driven by a single big idea and then applied appropriately to the variety variety of media. And it is a huge challenge for the client. It's, just, it's a different way of thinking. Looking you and looking back over the last ten or fifteen years, when you created a campaign, mm-hmm. how long could you hope for? Uh, in terms of time for that campaign to uh, to, to work for the consumer, uh, I mean things seem to be changing so rapidly now every single day. Do you have to step up uh, the, the the campaign? Um, well, you know, I think I think if you go back fifteen years, I don't think you knew if it worked. I think that was probably part of the issue. <laughs> how, how did you know? Just I mean, all you could base it on was sales, and, and there could be uh, a lot of other factors could have come into play there. I think now with the the, the online resources and the, the, you can find out immediately if a campaign's working. Whereas before, we, I mean, we did a launch of a soap ad in New Zealand when I worked down there, and we, we thought we did a great ad, and and, it, and, it, and I, think, I still think it was, but but nothing really happened because the the, the product was delayed in production and, and wasn't on the shelves when the ads were running. So you know, no, that wasn't a very successful campaign, I suppose. But, <laughs> Uh, that's 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 the the benefit. Now you can measure much easier. So, in other words, your job has become easier, but but also also also, <laughs> also well, I didn't I didn't mean that, but also harder at the same time because you're surely your role, you and and Derek, are very different to the to what they were even ten years ago. Yeah, in some ways, in some ways, you, you you've got to be able to react quickly but then uh, it's, it's always sort of I think for me it's always been like that it's always been you've got to have a good idea and if it doesn't work you've got to have another good one pretty quickly you know if you if you create a director that doesn't like it you better be back in the morning with another good one um, what, what happens after that is it was largely out of our control now if we're doing if we're doing things online we can we can shift and change and you know, almost immediately you can change direction make little uh, adjustments yeah that that speed the speed of response is is um is, is is a huge huge tremendous change uh that's occurred and whether that's made it easier or harder uh i could argue that's made it better it's, it's kept everybody on their toes um and, and made you think a heck of a lot more in the beginning uh it definitely lost some of its uh esoteric nature if you will uh with advertising and it's become much more um i think transactional is probably one of the best words for that. 
Does that does that mean that it takes away the creativity for you, Ewan, in a way? No, I think if you look at some of the the best campaigns that have ever been done, they've been done when the the, the most severe restrictions have been put on people. Um, so no, I think it just forces you to think a bit harder. But it, but it does necessarily mean that you become more analytical as a creative director rather than visual. Would that um, be would that be a good assumption? Yeah, that's possibly. I've never thought of it like that. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been called analytical before. See, I'm asking the difficult questions, aren't I? Yeah, yeah that's good though. Too many big words. You think, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and that's not and that's not supposed to be insulting you at all. But all I'm saying is that uh, both of you are are going from these defined areas and having to look uh, further because you're having to take in statistics, you're having to take in uh, uh, sales performance, you're, you're having to take in all this new technology that that has to drive your business in a different direction. And I guess that you have to be. Uh, more widespread yourselves. Yeah, we, we're, we're fortunate in the both myself and Derek and, and Scott. Uh, third part, we, we we all think quite differently anyway. So we, we we have a good sort of balance in that we we can help each other in areas where the other one doesn't have those strengths. And I think that's that's the what is making us more successful is that we are quite quite different characters and different strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, and you can imagine David, that the client demands are, are changing readily too, because they're they're in a position now where they're not able to keep up on all of this. So they're looking for these trusted partners, these strategic alliances, to be able to bring this different level of thinking. So it's forcing all of us to uh, to you know to stay abreast of all this this ever changing technology. Does that uh, make us the guinea pigs, as it were? It, it does. It put, I think it puts you at a lot more risk in thinking you're going to be that these generalist experts that that, that many of us are, are becoming. Um, that that can be a little dangerous. Uh, so I think what you're seeing, the evolution you're seeing, is a lot of alliances forming, um, a lot of expertise, and some people that again are able to look at step back with the client, look at the big picture, try to try to make some assessments about how to best reach these audiences. Um, and simultaneously apply a creative strategy with that as well. So it's it's becoming more complex, without a doubt. It seems to me that there's a lot of uh, guessing games here, both for the consumer and for the advertiser. I mean, there used to be a time when the advertiser would advertise, the consumer would buy the product, whether it was a necessity or not, <laughs> and that was it. But now, hasn't the consumer got wiser? Don't they have more uh, to choose from? Don't they understand better how... Uh, manufacturers work and what they're trying to uh, how they're trying to dangle that carrot oh I, I think the consumers become much savvier I mean with the advent of, of the digital age that we're in right now um, their ability to research to talk to their peers I mean within a day and get you know countless opinions on, on a purchase decision that they're about to make so absolutely um, and and I think the demand on on corporate organizations to be transparent, to be open, to to express when they're having challenges, um, or or where they differ from their their competitors, um, I think it's in their best interest now because the consumer is so much more aware than they used to be. Yeah, the the big uh, online review sites are uh, enormously helpful and beneficial in that way because they people will take the view of a, a peer, even someone they don't know. Uh, as, at least as a level of their own opinion in a lot of cases, and certainly higher than any uh, <laughs> ads. 
And whereabouts are you going to take the business, gentlemen? What what are your what are your um, objectives over the next years? What, how large would you like this this advertising agency to become? And would you like to serve international clients rather than than just local national ones? We we just see we just want to be of a size that enables us to keep doing great work. Um, there's not too many agencies can can grow internationally and retain that. Some some do very successfully, but. Uh, we, you know, we're we're just aiming to keep doing the best possible work we can because that's what that's why we do it. That's why we enjoy it. And do you have a lot of competition? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's not not just when you you, you create an ad, your competition is everywhere. In a in a in a newspaper, I mean, the editorial is usually more interesting than the actual. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's our competition. Yeah. It, uh, but as far as agencies go. Uh, yeah, I think uh, locally there's, there's there's a few very very good agencies. Uh, the, you know, the wider you grow, the, the the stiffer the competition. But we we have a, we've got a vast amount of experience between us. Don't forget, you know, I've worked on four different continents. Scott Montgomery's own his own agency uh, twice, I believe. He's, he's been creative director of some of the biggest agencies in Southern California. So we're we're very confident. Um, and we with Derek's sort of expertise in. Uh, in, in the, the, the media and strategy world, we're very confident we can uh, compete. Are you involved in television as as, as much as the conventional side um, of the business? I haven't been recently because uh, my previous agency I worked for was mainly business to business. Uh, but um, we, we we will be where necessary. There's still there's still a role for for TV advertising. Um, it's definitely evolved and it's definitely changed, but there's still definitely a role for. Well, not no, rather than just confined to TV. There's definitely a big role for. Um, Communication through video. Yeah, video. Video is going to be the I think the next big thing we see. Where you watch that is a uh, is what's changing. Well, in moving towards the end of the program, gentlemen, I'll, I'll ask you, Derek. How do you see the advertising world in the future? What what are, what is your vision, and where would you where would you like to go? Wow, um, okay. I like that crystal ball that would help answer uh, that question for all of us. Um, where I'd like to see it go is that um, we continue that it. I, I truly enjoy the what, the what the digital age has provided us and the fact uh, with the consumer information and what they have and forcing corporations uh, to, to operate on, on a different level um, and to be more transparent. So I think only good, more good can come from that. Um, as far as what the advertising, you know, I'm going to use that term generally, looks, industry looks like, I think you're going to see a big broad mix from the publicly held to the small independents to regionals to... Um, really strong, small, elite teams and independent uh, individuals that will go into more of a consulting mode. I think coming out of this recession, you're going to see a, a, just a broad mix of different types of groups. And I think it's going to be years to see. I don't, I don't even know if we'll ever go back to the way it was. Um, so I think you're going to have a constant, ongoing mix of experts and, and generalists that are working together to try to do some great work. Well, uh, Derek Wilkson, Ewan Pigeon, thank you very much for being with us today. We've certainly enjoyed uh, this discussion. Thank you. Thanks, David. And to our listeners, thank you for uh, joining us. We hope you've enjoyed this discussion as much as I have. You can visit our blog at davidgibbons.org if you wish to converse with these gentlemen. I'm sure they'll be happy to answer any questions that you have. And meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening.
David Gibbons in Discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.